Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church on the Monday broadcast. Well, on our Mondays and Tuesdays for the last several weeks, we've been talking about kindness, and we're going through a series in my church uh, talking about the kindness of God. And we're looking at different Bible characters uh, throughout these Monday and Tuesday broadcasts and uh, just looking at how they exhibited kindness and how God used that kindness to fulfill his will. Well, I want to begin by uh, encouraging you with the Bible. And here is a passage of scripture, Psalm 63. Oh God, my God, how I search for you, how I thirst for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water, how I long to find you, how I wish I could go into your sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. For your love and kindness are better to me than life itself. Oh, how I praise you. I will bless you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. At last, I shall be fully satisfied. I will praise you with great joy. How could David say this? Thy loving kindness is better than life. Uh, He could say it because he understood the fact that God came through every single time. And he uses a wonderful analogy here. He talks about being in a parched land where there's no water, uh, where you were trying to find something to drink and you couldn't find anything to drink. And then he says, I go to the sanctuary and I'm searching for God. I'm searching for his love and his loving kindness are better than life itself. Uh, And he says, that's why I'm praising you, uh, because one day my life will end. But God's loving kindness for me will live forever. Well, that's if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You'll have an ongoing, everlasting relationship with Him. You know, God's loving kindness will outlast my life. God's loving kindness is even much more consistent in life. You ever notice how uh, many ups and downs there are in lives? Uh, in life, you could be doing really good today. Uh, you could be having the best day of your life today. Uh, but then tomorrow's going to come. And who knows what's on tomorrow? Uh, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, it may become the worst day of our lives. But God's loving kindness is consistent. I want you to know no matter how bad things get, God still loves you. And no matter how good things get, God still loves you. Don't forget that his loving kindness will outlast life. Well, I heard a good dad joke the other day. Uh, we're going to be looking today at Moses and the midwives. Uh, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter number one, which is an amazing chapter in the Bible. It's a transition, and uh, we see a lot of change that is taking place. We close off the book of Genesis, and, uh, and somebody once said the book of Genesis begins with creation, Genesis chapter number one, and it ends with a coffin, the death of Joseph. Uh, Then there's a gap between Genesis 1 and Exodus. There's a gap in history, uh, about 350 years. And we discover a lot has changed from the the close of Genesis to the beginning of of Exodus. We see God is raising up a guy by the name of Moses. And you know his story well. Uh, There's an awful lot of books and chapters about the life of Moses. As a matter of fact, many Jewish people hold Moses in higher regard than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, because there's so much written about Moses. Uh, the Bible says that Moses was the meekest person outside of Christ who walked the face of the earth. But Moses had some tenacity about him. <laughs> That's what I like about Moses. He never gave up. Uh, he was just as persistent as a migraine headache. Remember when he went to Pharaoh and he demanded that Pharaoh let his people go? Uh, and here's where my dad joke comes in. 
Moses walks up to the Pharaoh and says, Let my people go. The Pharaoh replies, No way. So Moses says, Yahweh. Uh, In other words, God will deliver. I'm so glad to know that God comes through. Uh, Life may be filled with its ups and downs, but God is consistent. You know, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. But if you will be single-focused, you will be like Christ. Christ is consistent. And and I want to recommend a book before I dive too much into the message today, uh, because we're going to be looking at uh, what God did with the kindness of Moses and the midwives. And we're going to discover between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus that something profound happens in that the leader of the Egyptian uh, country, uh, the, the Egyptian ruler, king, has forgotten the kindness of God. Uh, so Erwin Luther was the pastor at Moody Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois. I think he's the um, uh, emeritus pastor there. Uh, but he wrote a book a few years ago, When a Nation Forgets God. And, uh, and this is a book that I would recommend that you check into. There's seven lessons that he covers, uh, lessons that we must learn from Nazi Germany. And the first lesson is that when, when God is separated from government, judgment falls. Now, that judgment is not often immediately. Uh, it takes time because God is very patient. Uh, and for example, the, the Tower of Babel, right? Uh, in the Tower of Babel, we discover that God's people who were delivered uh, from the flood, Noah and his family, uh, they began to multiply, but they were not spreading out. They were multiplying, but they were staying in one place. And so they decide one day to build a tower up to the sky. And some people think that uh, the reason they were building this tower is because uh, they wanted to protect themselves against uh, being flooded out again, right? Because God had destroyed the earth through a mighty flood. And so maybe their thought was, let's build a tower so tall uh, that if uh, if a flood comes, uh, we can jump into this tower and we'll be safe. Uh, Well, that's really not uh, a legitimate way of looking at it because they were building this tower in a valley. They weren't building on the top of a mountain. And furthermore, uh, they knew that God had made a promise to them. If they believed that God destroyed the earth by a flood, uh, they would also believe the promise that God gave uh, when God uh, allows the waters to subside. And he says, and he tells Noah and his family to go out and to be fruitful and multiply. And he gives the sign of a rainbow. Uh, a, a rainbow is a sign of the fact that God will never again destroy the earth through a flood. Now, it's a tragedy that some people have hijacked uh, the symbol of a rainbow, uh, but God's original intent for the rainbow uh, was to remind us that he would never destroy the earth by a flood. Uh, He was going to ensure that that would never happen again. Now, uh, one day he will destroy the earth, and it's not going to be by a flood. It's going to be by a fire, but that's another uh, story for another day. When a nation forgets God, God is separated from government. Uh, We are blessed with a wonderful nation uh, that believes in the separation of church and state. Now, a lot of people have totally turned that upside down. Uh, It's not the the, the separation of the church from the government, but rather it is a separation from the government uh, from the church. In other words, the government should not interfere with the church, but the church should influence the government. But when God is separated from government, judgment is going to fall. And I use the illustration of the Tower of Babel. Uh, They were building that tower not because they wanted to be protected uh, in a flood. Uh, They built that tower so they could be up high with God, Uh, so they could go with God. And uh, and God says, you know what I'm going to do? This is wickedness, okay? 
I'm going to separate the people. And the way that I'm going to do it is through confusion. Uh, in the absence of God, there is always confusion. When sin increases, so doesn't confusion. Uh, if you really want to have a confused life, just sin a whole lot. Uh, your life will become much more complicated. It will become much more confused. So God says, oh, you want to try to build this tower? I'm going to confuse you, and I'm going to introduce all these different languages. And so they couldn't communicate with one another. And so they begin to spread out. Uh, those who spoke Spanish went one direction. Those who spoke French went one direction. And, uh, and you discover from this that God was judging his people. And when we look at a nation that forgets God, I'm not going to go through all of these uh, seven lessons, uh, but when you look at what happens to the economy of a nation, uh, when the economy of the nation begins to crumble, uh, that is part of God's judgment upon a nation. And I'm not talking about the cycle of an economy. I'm talking about the fact that there is great taxation, uh, there is great inflation. Uh, there is, uh, there is uh, control or attempted control of the economics within a culture. And we discover that economically, a nation always takes a hit. Uh, and it happens over and over and over again. Uh, we also discover that when a nation forgets God, that which is legal might also be evil. Okay? And, and we're seeing that happen in our nation today where we are legalizing things that just a few years ago were considered evil. Well, that's one of the signs that a nation has forgotten God. Uh, he gives another uh, chapter that talks about propaganda, and propaganda can change a nation. And, uh, and if you look at most studies, uh, there is a high distrust of our government here in the United States. Uh, why? Because they think that our government is involved in propaganda. And here's another point that he makes. Chapter number five, parents, not the state, are responsible for a child's training. When a nation forgets God, uh, the nation thinks that it can rear our children better than we can rear our children. Oh, I want you to know, parents who are listening to me today, God has placed you as the parent of your children. Uh, so that you can raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You are responsible for training them. You have a greater influence upon them, and you must take advantage of that influence upon them. It is greater than the school. It is greater than the church, uh, the influence that you have on your children. So train up those children when they're young. Uh, teach them the things of God when they're young. Uh, and, and the book of Proverbs tells us as they get older, they will not depart from it. Uh, there's something else that we notice about a nation that forgets God. Uh, a nation that forgets God will no longer exalt the cross. Uh, and as a result of no longer exalting the cross, uh, they will start to gather around darkness. Uh, so this is a great book that I highly recommend. Erwin uh, Lutzer, When a Nation Forgets God, Seven Lessons We Must Learn. Now, the reason I gave you that book as a recommendation is because when we're looking at Genesis into the book of Exodus, we discover Egypt has forgotten God. But God hasn't forgotten his people, the Israelites, and so he has a plan for them. And as you look at the plan that God has for them, uh, this message is very timely because God has a plan for us as Americans. Uh, and we don't want to forget what God has done in the history of our nation. You know, the very first amendment of the Constitution. It says that the country shall have no official religion. And Americans have been debating uh, where to draw the line between religion and government. Since our founding, we have been debating this. And the debate recently resurfaced, uh, and there's three 
new Supreme Court rulings. And I'm not going to take the time to go into all of these rulings, but it kind of shows you that the debate is still alive uh, with this First Amendment, uh, which says that our country should have no official religion, but yet we have the freedom of religion. So the Supreme Court ruled recently uh, that religious symbols on public property were acceptable. That's not the government uh, sanctioning any religion. Uh, It's okay to have that symbol on public property. Uh, There's another uh, one that was uh, debated by the court, and and the Supreme Court ruled that prayer could take place in public schools. Now, it can't be led by the teacher, uh, but prayer itself can take place in public schools. And then the third one is that state subsidies can be used for religious schools. Uh, Just because you receive a subsidy uh, to send your child to a private school or a religious school is not the state sanctioning uh, that particular faith. Uh, It is the state giving you as a parent uh, the resources that you need to send your child to the school of your choice. And, And when I think about this whole point, so many times we miss the point uh, that, and this is what I think ought to happen. Of course, I'm just a very small voice, and it, it probably never will happen. But I think the tax dollars that is set aside for public education ought to follow the student. Uh, for example, let's say it costs $10,000 a year to educate a child, and they figure out how much it costs per child in your particular town or city. And let's say, for the sake of a conversation, it costs $10,000 a year. Well, instead of uh, them saying you must go to this school and we'll pay $10,000 to that school district, why don't that money follow that student? So that if you decide as a parent that you want to send your child to a private school or a religious school, uh, then that $10,000 could be given to you in a voucher. And uh, and really nobody's losing that money because your child is not in a state-subsidized school. He's in a private school. And uh, you're still going to probably have to pay some money to compensate the difference between the cost of tuition and what that money that's given to you is. Uh, But it goes with the student. And I know, again, that's probably never going to happen. But I think that would be a great idea. Well, as we look at separation of church and state, Pew Research Center uh, has done a lot of surveys in the past few years. And it shows that far more Americans support than oppose the separation of church and state. Although there's some, uh, sometimes there's divisions of these questions uh, based upon a person's political identity, but here are seven facts uh, about the connections between religion and the government within the United States. Here's the first one. Uh, Nearly three-quarters of United States adults, 73%, say that religion should be kept separate from government policies. And this survey was conducted in the spring of 2022. Now, just 25% say government policy should support religious values and beliefs. Uh, So when we look at this, this is a high percentage, right, of Americans who say religion should be kept separate from government policies. Now, that is really, in my opinion, unbelievably high, right? Uh, Because regardless of what you call your beliefs, whether you call them religious beliefs or your personal beliefs, uh, your beliefs are going to influence government policies. And if you're saying that religious beliefs do not influence government policies, then who would influence the government policies? Here's a second point, uh, the second fact, the Johnson Amendment. If you're not familiar with what the Johnson Amendment is, it limits political activity by religious organizations. Now, most Americans 
70% say that they want churches and other houses of worship to stay out of politics, right? Uh, I'm going to go to church, but I don't want to talk about politics, right? I don't want to hear about politics, uh, which is kind of amazing uh, when you think about it, because according to a 2021 survey uh, that was conducted, they discovered in the last presidential election, the last presidential election of 2020, that most people who go to church, they surveyed people who do go to church, and they discovered that uh, about 10% across the board heard sermons expressing a political view. And, uh, and then they, uh, even a higher percent said that they heard sermons, 4 in 10, uh, 40% said they had heard sermons discussing the importance of voting, protecting our engagement, and, and being involved in the political process. Uh, so when we think about this, uh, I don't know how you can really make this disconnect, right? Because who I am politically, who I am religiously, and who I am morally, and who I am spiritually is who I am. And, uh, and this freedom to express ourselves uh, should be given across the board. Well, there's something else that I noticed as I was doing this research. Another fact is that the Supreme Court ruled way back in 1962. Now, most of you are listening to me. Uh, we're not even alive in 1962. I wasn't alive in 1962. Uh, but the Supreme Court ruled that it's unconstitutional for a teacher to lead a class in public prayer. And so they did a survey on this. Is, is this right? You know, was this, did the Supreme Court get this one right? Well, in 2021 of March, three in 10 U.S. adults said that public school educators should be allowed to pray in their classrooms. 30% of Americans believe that they should be able to pray in school. The teachers should be able to lead the class in prayer. Now, an even larger share of Americans, okay, 30% said uh, the teachers should be able to lead the class in prayer. 46% said that teachers should not be allowed to lead the students in prayer. And now this was broken along political lines where Democrats were twice as likely as Republicans to have this view, uh, 60% versus 30%. So when you think about this, okay, as we look at this, 30% of Americans think it's okay for prayer in public school to be led by a teacher. 46% say it's not proper, it's not acceptable. Uh, so that's an interesting scenario as to where we are here as a nation. Here's the fourth fact that I found as I was putting this information together, is that Americans are divided on whether local governments should be allowed to put religious symbols on public property. According to the same survey that I just uh, referenced in March of 2021, nearly 4 in 10 Americans, 39%, say that cities and towns should be allowed to do this. All right, 35% say religious symbols should be kept off public property. Uh, roughly a quarter, 26%, don't favor either option. So I don't know what that means. Uh, they don't favor you know, public uh, religious symbols, uh, and I'm not sure exactly where they're coming from that. Uh, well, the Supreme Court cases have determined that religious displays on government property are constitutional in certain contexts. In other cases, they found that such displays can be endorsements of religion, which would be a violation of the First Amendment. Well, the U.S. Constitution does not mention God you know, nearly all constitutions reference either God or the divine. And according to a 2017 analysis, God appears in the Declaration of Independence, the Pledge of Allegiance, and on our currency. 
Uh, so just because we mention in God we trust is not a government endorsement of a particular faith. Here's something else that we discovered as we were putting these things together. Christmas Day, probably my favorite holiday of the year, right? Christmas and Easter are my two favorite. Uh, and on Easter, that's my favorite. But on Christmas, that becomes my favorite. But Christmas Day is the only holiday that's also a religious holiday. Although many Americans view Christmas as a cultural holiday as well, Congress made Christmas, along with the 4th of July and Thanksgiving and New Year's Day, an unpaid holiday for federal workers uh, way back in 1870. Long time ago, uh, they recognized those holidays, and then later a bill was extended that would give these as vacation days for all government employees. And so courts have upheld Christmas Day's constitutionality, arguing that federal office closures do not coerce citizens to engage in religious activities. Efforts to recognize other religious holidays uh, have been unsuccessful to date uh, in the United States. That proves the point that we still have a pretty solid foundation in our faith in Christ. And so as we look at this, right, even those who are elected as presidents, the overwhelming majority of them have been considered Christian. And as you look at this, John F. Kennedy was the first to be a Catholic president, and we say uh, President Biden would be the second Catholic president that we've had. But prior to that, we had uh, the majority of our presidents claiming uh, to be adherents to the Christian faith. We had a few exceptions to that, uh, and maybe the two most famous would be Abraham Lincoln and, uh, and maybe Jefferson, uh, as they had no formal uh, religious affiliations. And so uh, most of the presidents have been sworn in with the Bible, and, uh, and traditionally they, they conclude their oath of office with this phrase, so help me God. Now, roughly half of Americans feel it is either very much or somewhat important for a president to have strong religious beliefs. So isn't it amazing that we believe this, right? Uh, that is very important on one hand, uh, but uh, on the other hand, uh, we don't want to be pushing that too much on people, or we certainly don't have laws uh, that would reflect our faith. Well, here's the sixth thing that I found uh, in researching the message for today uh, and tomorrow. The, the Constitution guarantees that religion can never be a requirement for holding public office, but most Americans don't seem to know this. In a 2019 Pew Research survey, they asked a multiple-choice question, and the multiple-choice question has to do with this issue, what the Constitution says about religion. Only 27% of the adults who took this survey in 2019 are able to correctly identify there is no religious test. Uh, so three out of four Americans think that you got to be a, a person of faith to hold public office. Well, many United States incorrectly uh, misunderstand this point. Uh, there's one final other point that I want to give you before I close out for the day. And Americans are divided on the extent to which the country's laws should reflect biblical teachings. Roughly half of all adults say the Bible should influence U.S. laws either a great deal or somewhat. 
That's about half, okay? And more than a quarter say that the Bible should prevail over the will of the people if the two are at odds. According to a survey done in February of 2020, half of Americans, meanwhile, say the Bible shouldn't influence U.S. laws uh, much or at all. Now, this is amazing when you think about it because our whole jurisprudence system is based upon the Bible, the Ten Commandments. Well, I want you to join me tomorrow because tomorrow uh, we're going to get into kindness of Moses and the midwives and how in the midst of those opposing them, they were used mightily of God. Well, Lord, thank you for being with us in the broadcast today. I thank you for every person listening to the broadcast today. I pray that they will be blessed and they'll be encouraged and that they'll pick up the second half of this message tomorrow. And we just want to thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to worship you, to know you, and to share your love wherever we go. We pray that we will be kind to one another, that we will build each other up. Uh, We are made kind by being kind. So help us to be kind wherever we go so that it will open up doors for us to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen, if I can pray for you, shoot me a quick text, okay? 252-267-2365. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.